recognized symbol of excellence in sports entertainment. Hey, this is Kurt Angle, and welcome to the Kurt Angle Show. On the show today, we're going to welcome a five-time, 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 five-time world champion. But first, let me introduce to you my co-host, Paul Bromwell. How you doing today, Paul? Kurt, I'm doing great. Really excited about this one. Been uh, counting down the days until we had the man on with us. He's here. We're jumping right into it. We'll do football and all the other nonsense at the end of the show. But let's welcome our guest, the five-time world champ, Booker T, to the Kurt Angle Show. Booker T, how are you? I'm grand, man. I'm living my best life right now, actually. Hey, Book, I wanted to ask you this. Uh, You've been pretty busy lately. Between the podcast commentary, what all do you have going on right now? Well, uh, I got my, my wrestling school, of course, uh, I'm a wrestling promotion. I got the, um, a radio show. It comes on ESPN four days a week. Um, uh, you promote the wrestling show too on the yeah, radio? Yeah. Heck yeah, man. You know, we're local. So, you know, they always said with a local pr- uh, promotion, you gotta have TV. You gotta be able to work the radio. So I got on AM radio about eight years ago. And, and then, um, about six years ago, uh, ESPN hired me and, and I have a four day a week, uh, Tuesday through Friday. And uh, it's pretty, it's pretty awesome, you know, seven o'clock at night. Uh, and I, I never imagined a dreamt in a million years that I would be in broadcast. I knew it when you were pretending to be broadcasting <laughs> at TNA backstage, like every match you were talking about the match and going through it, like you were commentating. And it was like, man, this guy has it. <laughs> oh man. I just always want to have fun. You know me, man. I was always laughing, man. You were. You always had a good time. I was one of those guys that was walking around with an attitude or anything, uh, worried about doing a job. (laughs) You know, I was just just happy, man, just being on the road. When when I wasn't happy, everybody knew it. (laughs) Like when they, (laughs) like when somebody stole my Red Bull. You know what I mean? You, you've been, you've seen it. (laughs) Yeah. Yes. Well, hey, Booker, listen, you're considered one of the most decorated athletes in all of WCW history. What does that mean to you and your career as you look back? You know, um, it just means I put the work in. Uh, I wasn't one of those guys that rested on my laws or anything like that. Um, I, I, I never thought about being the world champion. Uh, I just wanted to be the best. I just wanted to be the best guy in the locker room. I always, used to, I used to piss those guys off in WCW off so bad because I was like, I was green kind of. I was kind of green, but I used to tell guys, you know, I, I'm top five in the world. I'm one of the top five workers, you know, nobody, and they would say, what, well, what, what number are y'all going to, it doesn't matter. <laughs> just, I, I know I'm hovering somewhere in there, but, um, I just wanted to perform. Um, I grew up in the ghetto. I grew up in the neighborhood and I never saw myself wrestling or anything like that. But once I got in the wrestling ring, I, I wanted to be the best. And when, when you look back on my name, I wanted people to remember me with the greats. And I think, you know, for somehow I done that. <laughs> I don't yes, you did, no, yes, you did. Um, when WCW closed, did you imagine 22 years later you would still be so heavily involved? No, you know what? I thought my run was going to be over a lot. I started planning to re- retire when I was 30. And, and, and I was like, man, I know this thing's not going to last forever. Um, but I, but somehow I figured it out. Um, I, I've always known that it's not about me. I always know, like in, with the wrestling game, you're never going to be on top all the time. It goes in, in cycles. Course, you know? yeah. and, and then, you know, when you get out of the business, you know, it's not about Derek Ian being the top guy. You just want to stay relevant in some way, shape, form, or fashion. And for me, I always say, sometimes staying relevant is out of your hands. It's up to these young guys out there that's keeping your name alive. You know, like for me, like Bad Bunny, 
you know, wrote a song about me and it won a Grammy. And, and my, and I'm gonna tell you, my Latin contingency on my Twitter account is 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 off the chains, dog. It's amazing, you know. What I mean, so so for me, I've always known that uh, it, it's just not about me. So I just those accolades are, are awesome, um, but it's not something I wake up and go to sleep thinking about. It's cool, man, because you think about it. When you started with your brother, could you ever, you talk about, you know, your contingent that's now following you on Twitter and you're in a Bad Bunny song, but all those years ago, uh, you, your brother, now you're a two-time WWE Hall of Famer. Could you ever have envisioned it? It's never, um, I never thought about it one time. I never thought about the Hall of Fame. When they called me to go in the Hall of Fame, I was like, man, I'm way too young for that. You know, <laughs> what are you talking about? I'm not, I'm not old enough yet. But, but I was well, graciously, uh, take, uh, take the award. But I never, I, you know what? This life I'm living right now is a dream mm-hmm. that I've never had. Um, but I do know that, you know, being a part of this business, you don't slip on a banana peel and make it this far. Um, it doesn't happen by osmosis or anything like that. You have to really, you know, stay. I've, I've stayed focused for more than 30 years now. And, and that, I think, is my greatest attribute. So for me, making it to the other side, and, you know, I, I turned 59 in a few months. Right. And uh, and my retirement kick in. <laughs> And I made it. You know what I'm saying? So that's what life's about for me, man. It's always been about just having fun and, you know, living life. But my my brother and I, man, what a hell of a run. Um, Sherry Montel, what a hell of a a time. I I couldn't even, you know, tell you how much fun we really had back in those days. Uh, And until there again, like you say, 30 years later, I'm still, I'm still in it. Still looking, you know, relatively, you know, okay. <laughs> I'll, great, take, yeah. I'll take it, man. WCW as Harlem Heat and eventually moving to being a single star set the stage for your run in WWE, did it not? You know, um, all of that time as a tag team wrestler, um, it was um, great because I almost like had like a security blanket, right? Uh, my brother, I was always with my brother. Um, no matter where I was around the world, I was always with my brother. Um, it was always like that, you know, coming up, you know, we slept in the same bed, you know, so it was easy uh, for me to go out and perform. Um, those matches um, back then, I always talk about every job that was done as far as Harlem Heat, I normally did the job almost every time. You know what I mean? Oh, wow, really? But yeah, you know, I, I say, you know, if I lose, you know, you know, I just lose, but I say if my, I lose and my brother lose, you know, the tag team loses, you know what I mean? So I always did the job. I said, I'll come back next week and shock and amaze them and give them something where they'll totally forget about it. But um, those days did set me up for my singles career because when I started doing singles wrestling, it was like starting all over again. I was fresh. I was, and I had been in the business like, like almost 12 years at that wow, time. So you got singles for 12 years. Yeah, yeah. So, man, um, it, with with the stuff I did in Global and the stuff I did in WCW, that was a, almost like 12 years of work. And right. then I become a, a singles wrestler, and it was like I was brand new all over again. It gave me a, a totally new career. So I've, like, had – like, I feel like I've had three careers <laughs> in this business. But uh, my longevity has been, has been awesome, and I think starting out as a tag team was the catalyst of that. Do you have Booker and and I have a lot of fun memories watching you as a tag team wrestler with your brother. Do you have a favorite all time WCW memory? And, uh, I'll follow that up with what's a story that could only have happened in WCW. So favorite memory in WCW and a story that could only have happened in WCW. Um, you know, favorite, favorite memory, um, from a tag team perspective is going to be wrestling the Steiner brothers that, you know, Sturgis, South Dakota, you know, in front of a bunch of bikers. You know, I think my, my, my brother, we might have been the only black guys in Sturgis. <laughs> <laughs> and you were hearing it. Yeah, no, but but I remember getting on the microphone and I remember, you know, it's one thing I don't like is red dicks. <laughs> <laughs> and everybody was a redneck. <laughs> and you people are rednecks. <laughs> 
Oh, God, boy. But no, but they, and they went to, we almost started riding that day. <laughs> uh, and, uh, it, but it was so much fun, man. We didn't back down at all. We walked out steel and steel the WCW Tag Team Champions, man. And it was, it was awesome. It was awesome. But something that probably could never happen anywhere would be, you know, my, you know, inception pretty much with WCW pretty much started out kind of like at the top because I was with Sid Vicious. Sid brought my brother and I in. Um, so we got like pretty much thrust in the main event, you know, um, scene, you know, right off the bat. And then I find myself, you know, with, um, you know, Vader and Sid, my brother and I, and then, you know, the shock master coming out and falling on his face, you know, <laughs> Star Wars, you know, helmet on, you know, <laughs> it was the funniest thing in the world, you know, it only could have happened. In you know, it seemed like, man, I've been a fly on the damn wall in just about every situation that has gone on, you know, so, but that one was like, wow, man, you know, and I, like I said, I was green and I didn't know what to say, but it was a, a moment that, Still, uh, you know, resonate to, uh, to this day. Yeah. Well, do you think WCW gets a bad rap, or was it really that chaotic? You know, at the end, it, it was chaotic. Um, uh, it, you know, my whole time in WCW, I had such a great time. I had such a great time. When the NWO came in, things changed. Um, but, but you know, we were making more money than we ever had when the NWO came in. Also, so for me, I it was I, I was happy. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I was like, man, these guys making the pay go up right here, man. I'm making more money than I ever made in my life uh, when those guys came in. But I could kind of like see the the shift, uh, you know, the pendulum um, as far as when those guys came in. As far as man, the 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 the, the, the um, Indians are you know taking uh, got the cowboys running, the, the the cops are running from the from the from the bad guys. Right, right, yeah. <laughs> it, was, it was like that. And I was like, man, I don't like the way this thing is going. But for me, um, it it really didn't bother me because I I knew nothing really really lasts forever. Um, I knew preparation was the only luck um, you ever was going to have um, in your life. So for me, if the wheels fell off, I really didn't care um, one way or the other because I knew I could get a job in this business. But it was chaotic. It was chaotic because, you know, nobody really knew who was running the ship. We, we didn't have a real boss sometimes. Sometimes you come in. I came in one day. Kevin Nash was running the show, but he decided to take off. So Macho Man was running the show. <laughs> like, oh, man, what the hell's going on here? <laughs> I just won a number one contenders match uh, a week before, and then they wanted me to work Bagwell that night and do a job for him. And I go, Mach, I just won the number one contenders match last week, and now you want me to do a job for this guy? Isn't he going to be the number one contender now? He goes, don't worry about it. It's just wrestling, brother. This shit don't make sense, boy. <laughs> exactly my point. You know, so it got chaotic um, there uh, for a minute. But for me, um, honestly, it for for some reason, it it never really bothered me. Not one mm -hmm. time. You, uh, everyone talks about Booker, that, uh, infamous night bash at the beach, Vince Russo, Hulk Hogan, all that. But at the end of the show, you're the world champion. What did you know? When did you know it? And what was that night like for you? As you look back at it now, it was, you know, why I say that night for me, um, because of all the chaos, because of everything that went on that night, People are gonna remember me forever, you know. I, I think without that, it wouldn't. My title um, win wouldn't have been as big. Mm. I think I needed that to happen, it, and it played out in front of the world. I, I was watching Vince Russo on Dark Side of the Ring, and he said all of that stuff was a work. <laughs> damn it, those guys can't act that damn good. <laughs> no way, there's no way those guys can, can pull right. something off like that and every and making the world believe it. This many years later, no, it was real. I think as real can possibly can be between two people, Hogan and Vince Russo. And um, for me, um, I didn't know a whole lot about it. I was told that I was going to be winning the world championship. And then I was told I wasn't going to be winning the world championship. I had wrestled Chris Canyon earlier that night. A lot of people don't even remember that, that, that match, but I had wrestled Chris Canyon and, and, and then all this stuff was going on back and forth. I remember vividly. I said, man, look, can I just get my stuff and get out of here, man? Because it was almost like child's play. It was almost like kids um, um, fighting over a trinket. And for me, it, I don't know, it just really, it just didn't matter that much to me. 
Maybe it should have, but it didn't. And uh, somebody, I can't remember who it was, to say, no, nah, stick around. You're wrestling tonight, and you win the world title. Oh, cool. uh, preparation, I had about 10 minutes before I had to walk out of the curtain. That was wow, it. Wow, book. No, um, couldn't talk much, could you? We didn't go over the match at all, you yeah. know, other than, you know, the finish, guitar, you know, spot, boom, you know, uh, bookie and one, two, three. But um, Jeff, such a professional, such a professional. Um, I get that guy so much credit, big, big props for going out there and handling that situation the way he did and then having to come out there and put me over in the middle of the ring. You know what I mean? He was such a such a businessman. And um, I respect that dude so much um, to this day because you know, I remember I was just I was hearing him talk and he said his, his, his most proudest moment is is my first world heavyweight championship win, which is really, really cool. So. Um, I give um, Jeff Jarrett a lot of credit for walking me, walking and talking me through that thing as well. You know, it was a great night. Hey, do you think uh, or did you know WCW was a dying a slow death in 2000? You know, I was um, I was I had, had a knee um, surgery um, year, year and a half, maybe before maybe year and a half, a little bit, maybe a little bit longer than that. Um before the company had went under, people don't even realize that. Um, I won, I won all my uh, my uh, championships with WCW within one year. <laughs> oh, really? uh, yeah, seriously. Uh, uh, other than the ones I got when I got to WWE, but um, I had hurt my knee, um, I, and I had uh, my knee scoped. So I was sitting at home, and I had sat at home for about three months. And um, man, I was watching it on television, and and I could just, for some reason I had just a, I had a bad feeling. I had a bad feeling in my bones. And I and I was like, man, I, I gotta get back to work, <laughs> you know. And I called Eric Bischoff and and uh and I asked Eric Bischoff, I said, I'm ready to come back to work. And and I remember vividly Eric Bischoff said, Oh, don't worry about it, you know, take off a couple more months. <laughs> <laughs> I swear, that's the way it was there. I mean, it wasn't like in, in, in WWE at all. And um uh, and I, I was like, no, nah, man, I got to get back to work now. I need to get back to work. So they let me come back to work. And then, you know, everything happened, you know, and I end up winning the world championship. Perfect timing. I had a, I, I went on a hell of a run, um, I'm losing it, winning and losing it, winning. I made myself within that short amount of time. And then the, the wheels fell off. It happened that quick. But I could sense it. I could sense we were going, the ship was going down and um, I needed to, there again, preparation is the only luck you're ever going to have. I needed to be prepared for, you know, when, when the ship did sink, you know, what lifeboat I was going to be on. That was WWE back then, yeah. And when, and when it sunk, book, you were the man. You were the WCW champion. You were the last United States champion. I mean, that's pretty important distinction in your career, right? Yeah, you know what? I've had a lot of great moments, man. I've I've had a lot of great moments. Uh, just having that accolade right there, you know, being like the Grand Slam, all that stuff, man, is is really really cool. Uh, it just let me know that I had a a chip in the game. Yeah, that's all. That's all. I, I knew going to the WWF, it was going to be a job. It was going to be a test um, for me. Um, when I went to the WWE WWF, then. Um, I left all my accolades behind, man. I didn't bring none of that stuff with me. I say, man, I got to go over here and prove. I, I tell my students, I say, you got to know how to make it in the locker room before you have a chance at making it in the ring. You know, so I say, let me go over here and just um, show these guys I'm willing to be one of the boys and I'm willing to play ball and be on the team um, because that's what they, those guys were. They were a team, man. They, those guys had to pull together, you know, for that uh, th those 83 weeks. You know, to get back on track, to take the take the reins back from WCW. Those guys had to pull together, man. And, and I wanted to show those guys. You know, I, I wasn't just you know, uh, you know, you know, running running a meal. You know, here today, fly by night. You know, uh, going. I, I wanted to show these guys, man, up how good I really was. And uh, I remember, uh, um, I remember I'm working. Uh, you know, I don't know how many months it had been in, but I was uh, going to my uh, locker room, uh, going to the dressing room one day, and Taker goes, hey, book, why don't you come dress over here with us? And it was the TV locker room. And uh, it was my first time dressing in the TV locker room. And I was like, oh, shit, I made it now, you know, dog. I'm, <laughs> I'm, in, the club. I'm in the club, you know what I mean? So, uh, but, but I didn't go there uh, just thinking I could be in the club. I remember uh, not too long ago, uh, it was a guy, he came from TNA uh, to WWE. I'm not going to say his name because I don't. I just don't like throwing people's names out there. But um, 
we, you know, I dress in the TV locker room. And he came in and he started dressing in the TV locker room. He didn't want to dress in the regular locker room. And I go, man, don't worry about those guys. Man, you can dress here. Man, it ain't no big deal. Man, dress here anytime. Bro, that's your spot right there. Look, don't tell nobody. You, I mean, don't let nobody tell you you can't dress in there, bro. You do it, all right? Couple of months later, his ass was fired. <laughs> Thank you, Buck. <laughs> you know, so people, people, you give them enough rope, they hang themselves in this business. And he hasn't talked to you since. Well, he, he doesn't. Even, he, doesn't he doesn't even know what I was doing. Oh to, no! Hey, to hear me talking on this show right now. Oh no! <laughs> Oh God! <laughs> That's real talk, man. Oh my God! Uh, all right, hey, book was the transition into the WWE tough? Not for me, man. You know, honestly, it was effortless. Um, I had no problems, you know, adapting. But you know, but I came in with an open mind. Um, I, when I came from WCW, man, I was the wrestler. I was the ultimate wrestler, man. I can go out and I can perform in the middle of that square circle with anybody. Um, but when I came to WWE, I had to work on my character building. Those guys started putting me in situations where I had to go out there and think and, and, and be quick on my feet, um, you know, and quick-witted at the same time, you know. So for me, I was loving that process. I loved, you know, the... The, the art of entertainment. It's like you, man, being an Olympic gold medalist, but you're out there with a ukulele and a little cowboy hat. You, it's, it's, you got to know how to fit in. And, and then you go in the middle of that square circle and you would school somebody and show them exactly how good you really. So for me, those two coincide. They go together. And, and I needed to, to learn that. So for me, I was, when I worked with Pat Patterson, man, and Blackjack Lanza, and those guys taught me so much when I came into that that company stuff that I, I thought I should have known, you know, already, you know, I remember having a match one day and I came back through the curtain and I was so frustrated with myself and I, I didn't, I, 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 I couldn't realize what I did wrong in the event. So if you'd have did it this way instead of that way, it would have worked. And I go, damn it. Why did I know that? You know? So for me having, you know, coaches and mentors, you know, I tell these young guys today, man, which I try to talk to, you know, you hear these young guys, they say, try to give them some advice and they'll say something stupid on Twitter about you. You know what I mean? And they, 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 they don't realize you're trying to help them. You know what I mean? Uh, maybe give me a call and I'll tell you exactly what I was talking about. And maybe it might help you. So for me, when I came into WWE, man, I was, I was like a sponge, man. I just wanted to learn and, and, and be the best there too. And I had, I'm going you know to tell you, what I saw in you is you had incredible work ethic and you were willing to learn. You weren't one of those guys that we all thought WCW guys are going to come in. They're not going to want to work hard. They're going to want to get skip some shows, you know, take off and not really show up. And like, there were a lot of rumors going around, but you came in and it was like, you proved us wrong. You were like, Oh wow. You know, oh, man. actually working his ass off and he's, he has an open mind. Well, I mean, I watched you guys look, man. I, I mean, I, I watched someone like you, Kurt, I always, you know, I talk about you many, many times. I say, man, Kurt Angle packed 20 years into a 10-year career in the first 10 years. I say, I think he packed like 20 years in. When I watched, you know, when I, when I was in WCW and I would watch Monday Night Raw and, you know, they would have it on the monitor, you know, uh, trying to counter, you know, counteract what WWF was doing. And I would see... Uh, you and Triple H out there, man, y'all would be taking it to another level. I mean, the stairs, it was blood. It was everything, man. And I was like, man, I, I wanted to be a, I wanted to be in the brawl fall. I wanted to whoop everybody's ass in that tournament. I swear. He's I, like, give me bark gun. Yeah, look at whether I would have won the tournament or not. <laughs> that's another story. But if, if I was there, I would have been in the tournament. And I, I think you would have won, book. Bro, I would have displayed won. some talent that people would, would never see in their lives. You know? <laughs> <laughs> but, 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 but I, I watched how hard those guys worked over there, man. But more importantly, I saw how much there was a team, you know. And, and for me, uh, there again, I wanted to be on that team. I really did. 
Well, you join the team and you and Kurt wrestle a lot when you first get to WWE, including WCW title matches. You guys traded the title back and forth on Raw. Talk to us about how much you enjoy when you first get there working with Kurt Angle. I mean, Kurt was one of the guys that I always, you know, wanted to work. Uh, I was I was intimidated a little bit uh, with Kurt. Uh, but, but, but intimidation for me always worked for me. It all, always, you know, nervous energy was something that I needed to actually be able to go out and perform. And every fight that I was in, you know, I might when I was a kid, I might have started crying after, even if I beat the kid up. <laughs> right, yeah. <laughs> I mean, because just the so emotion. Much emotion. Yeah, yeah sure. a lot of emotion there. But uh, with Kurt, uh, I, I said, man, I just got to be able to keep up with him. I said, man, if I could just keep up with him, I'd be okay. Um, and that's the only thing I thought about when I went into the ring with Kurt was keeping up with him. Um and and what what that means is, um, I know how good he is. I know how good of a wrestler he is, and I can't get drowned. I can't let. I can't make it make it look like it, at one moment that I can't keep up with. I'm tired. I'm lagging. I'm you know a lackluster. I got to make sure everything is solid. I'm gonna whack him as hard as I I possibly can in certain instances. You know what I mean? But it was as real and as as intense as it possibly could be. And you know the one thing about. Kurt is, you know, and I, I just, I just wish we could have finished our story, you know, oh, God, Kurt and I, we was on the, or the verge of having a classic match and, you know, Charles Robinson, the referee screwed it up by counting, making count the three count. And, and we, and Kurt and I, I don't know, Kurt realized this, but we never worked again after that. No, we, we didn't, man. I was so mad because we had a great program going. We had the first match you won. We had the second match that, you know, I was supposed to win, and then we we're going to have the rubber match. And the ref counted the wrong finish, and you ended up winning the second match, and it was the end of the program. Oh, the, it was the, crazy. The one thing I remember in that match was <laughs> when he counted three, the way you looked at him and the way I looked at him. <laughs> <laughs> and then what was crazy was I had to put my hands up because I just I know, I know. Look, you know what? What I couldn't believe is that you acted like you just won, and I, we were both shocked. Like, holy shit! You know, they they called the wrong finish, and you were celebrating. And I was like, I improvises, man. This oh, I had to, I had to go into it. I'm like, I'm happy, but I was so mad. Still to this day, every time I see Charles Robinson, I remind him of that. I swear to God, still to this day, this many years later, every time I see him. I remind him that he screwed up, you know, perhaps the best match, you know, my oh, poor Robert. <laughs> oh. All right. Who, where are we, man? Oh, getting to wrestle triple H at WrestleMania 19 for the world title. How big of a moment was that for you in your career? You know, people always talk about that match, you know, just because it has so much, uh, intensity going into it. It had such a real feel going into it, the black and white thing, of course. Him coming, you know, from the side, you know, kid with the silver spoon in his mouth, me coming from the rough side of the tracks, kid that's been in prison and whatnot. A kid like me shouldn't make it to that to that position. And but but I did. I made it to WrestleMania. I made it to, you know, the top spot um, at WrestleMania. I, I didn't win that night. Uh, but I tell people, I always tell people, go back and watch that match, man. What an awesome match. Uh, we went out there and we let it all hang out. And Hunter took everything that night, man. Harlem hangover included. Uh, and, and he wanted it. He was like, you know, give me that, you know. <laughs> all right, I'll give it to you. You know what I mean? Um, you know, and Ric Flair come out and everything happened. But I tell people all the time, man, uh, I never um, thought about one losses or anything like that. I always thought about the moment and the feel that I could, you know, and a lot of people, man, they, they wish that I won that night, man. A lot of people were so disappointed that night. They still tell me still to this day, man, that I should have won that night. Mm -hmm. I remember one of the um, high up in WWF. Uh, I'm not going to say his name, but he goes, book, you should have won tonight. And I go, thanks, bro. I appreciate that. But I, I but I never, uh, I, I, I've never lost one day of sleep um, <laughs> of that match because that check, <laughs> oh yeah, especially <laughs> for the world title. I can't that, imagine bro, that check more than anything I ever got. That was my biggest check I made for one night. And I'm gonna tell you right now, if anybody complained about something, put me in that every year. 
I do the same thing. But I do the same finish. He's like, count my shoulders to three, baby. Graciously every year, right? For me, man, it's always been about you know making the money, you know, and and taking care of my family. At the end of the day, that's really I look at this thing like a job, man. This has been a job for me for more than thirty years, and it's the only way I look at it. I say, man, if they would have gave me the money and say, book, we'll pay you a million dollars a year. And you can just sit at home. You ain't got to wrestle. You ain't winning no titles. I'd have sit my ass at home and been happy <laughs> to this day. I'm serious. <laughs> I'm serious, man. So it's never been about, uh, you know, the title or anything like that. But, you know, throughout my whole career, uh, you know, I've had 35 championships. I pretty much had a title around my waist my whole career. I've pretty much had a title around my waist throughout my whole career. Almost constantly. I had a championship around my waist. Almost. You know, so I, I, I did pretty good. And I, I, like I, I tell the young guys, you know, if you're good, you know, cream rise to the top, you know, um, you're going to get put in a position when you're good. Um, when, when you're talent, you don't have to, you don't have to call anybody. You don't have to bug anybody about, you know, creating an angle for you or writing. You don't have to do that when you're talent. You know, and, and for me, I'm not bragging or anything like that. Patting myself on the back, man. But I was always talent, man. I was always talent. No one can take that away from me. Recently, Giovanna hit me up about going to the Aerosmith concert in Pittsburgh. I absolutely love the concert. You know that. And I want to tell you, Paul, that we bought our tickets using the GameTime app. When I launched the app, I had no idea the number of concerts, games, and events they had available. They had every event you can imagine in the Pittsburgh area. And even better, the prices blew me away. I was able to get us great seats for the concert, and what was cool was their cancellation policy. I've not seen anything like it. So consumer-friendly. Apparently, they also have a job loss protection feature as well. Thanks to GameTime, we had an absolute blast while listening to all the classics from Sweet Emotion to Loving an Elevator. I was rocking out with my gold medals on, and now they are my favorite app of choice when it comes to buying tickets. So take the guesswork out of buying tickets with GameTime. Download the GameTime app, create an account, and use code ANGLE for $20 off of your first purchase. Terms apply. Again, create an account, redeem code ANGLE, for $20 off. Download game time today. Last minute tickets, lowest price guaranteed. It's true. It's damn true. Afford Anything talks about how to avoid common pitfalls, how to refine your mental models, and how to think about how to think. Paula, while certainly you can mess up on a million dollars a year, it is far less likely than it is on $30,000 a year. Right. I would meet wonderful people that were struggling with a budget that was super tight. It was 100%. You need to make more money. Make smarter choices and build a better life. Afford anything, wherever you listen. Uh, speaking of talent, both of you, you talked about you wearing the titles around your waist consistently. And I was thinking about Kurt, his career is very similar, you, you know, always having that title belt around his waist one in one form or fashion. But I want to ask you both this question. A lot of listeners, when they found out you were going to be on Booker, they couldn't wait to hear both your reaction to this, the storyline with Charmel. How did you two even do this? You're still talking. You're still friends to this day. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's about how you got through it together. I've heard, I've heard Kurt talk about that. And I know it wasn't one of his, you know, greatest moments, uh, greatest angles that he, um, you know, um, enjoyed participating in just because of the way the angle was, was built. But, but my thing is, man, I've, I've always looked at this business like Hollywood. I've always looked at this business as, you know, um, Shakespeare, Romeo and Juliet, Phantom of the Opera. I always looked at it that way. And Kurt did such a hell of a job being a stalker. I mean, <laughs> I, I mean he was like freaking Freddy Krueger or something. <laughs> you know he was I mean? too good at it. I know, I'm serious, man. You know, and it's, so it's like for me, Charmel, she loved, you know, uh, that angle. It was, it was, it was, it was great TV. It really yeah. was. And for me, when you're doing stuff like that, you got to be all in. You got to be. You got to really buy it and live it. Kurt lived it. I lived it. That's what pisses me off with Charles Robinson. We didn't get a chance to really finish yeah, the thing like we yeah, wanted to. But no, nah, man, that was uh, that was a great time for me. And working with Kurt uh, at that time, I think, you know, I think 
I think both both of us can attest that the fans was loving what was going on at, at that time. Yeah. Well, hey, Book, you were a big part of John Cena's rise with your best of five series. Did you think John Cena would be as big of a star as he became? Man, uh, yeah, I did. You know, because John, he was, you know, that best of five series, um, John just, he, he was a listener, man. He listened very, very well. Um, he was a guy that didn't ask questions. <laughs> you know, he just wanted to, you give him the keys, he going to drive. You give him the ball, he going to run. You know, he was like that. And and he was, he was willing to uh, go above and beyond, you know, not just the stuff in the ring, like the stuff out of the ring, you know, like showing up, you know, being the last guy to leave. You know, I would see that guy picking up trash in the locker room, you know, at the end of the night, you know, sometimes just so the boys would look bad to the cleaning crew. <laughs> you know, that kind of stuff, you know. But uh, nah, man, I knew that dude was going to be one of the best that ever did it just because of his attitude, his work ethic uh, in the ring and out of the ring. I had such a great time, you know, working with him. And, you know, it just just uh, maybe a month ago, I saw John down to PC. And uh, when we, uh, you know, refer to each other, I don't call him John. He doesn't call me Booker. You know, we just go Shakespeare because that's what I was teaching him back then, Shakespeare. And every time I would, you know, you know, tell him when we're going out to the ring tonight, you know, he asked me, what are we doing tonight? I said, we're going to do Shakespeare. You know, we ain't going to talk about it. We're just going to go out there and do it. You know, he's such an uncanny athlete. Um, he, he does something that may be unorthodox, but it's right. You know, that's what I tell, try to teach these young students, you know, don't think about selling. Think about reacting. He's one of the best guys at reacting and doing it on a dime. You know, so for me, working with John, it was a pleasure. It really was. He's, he's a guy that, you know, I, I never had any problems with. Um, to this day, uh, was something that we had to go out there and do inside the square circle. It was all about, you know, learning. Um, so, yeah, man, I knew he was going to be one of the best. Yeah, he picked up on stuff, and he, he really studied the game. He really did. But um, you become King Booker, which is one of my favorite characters. How hands-on was Vince, and how much of it was you? Uh, Vince didn't have anything to do with that character. Mm. I knew uh, that. Zero. Um, uh um, Brian, uh, Brian Gewertz, he, uh, he had a lot to do with it. He wrote a lot of good stuff for me and I could change it. Of course I had liberty to change it, but, um, you know, King Booker was a very, very interesting time in my career. Um, it was the hottest I could have, I think I could have ever gotten, um, doing a gimmick. Okay. Um, King Booker could have been an asterisk on my career. It could have been, um, uh, Man, you was making a fool out of yourself at the end of your career. Wow, man. How far how far down did you go? I mean, literally, it could have been. Um, the guy walking around with a cape and a crown acting a fool. That's what it could have been. But but um, I was determined. It was entertaining, man. man no, was so I, good. I, was, I was determined to make King Booker so memorable that no no one would ever be able to do the King of the Ring tournament ever again. But I think I've done no, I think I've done that. Yeah. I, I don't think anybody um that has become king after me, it didn't work. It just couldn't work because of those are really, really big shoes to fill. No one is ever going to be able to do that, that, that king of the ring ever again, just because of what I did. And I wanted to, I love uh, movies when I was a kid and, you know, the Shaw brothers productions were the uh, karate, uh, uh, karate movies. They produce karate movies and they produce some of the greatest karate movies. So I, I took a lot of my uh, themes from those karate movies um, and just brought it to life with King Booker. But then I studied, you know, like the Pope, you know, I studied like, you know, like the last King of Scotland, you know, stuff like that. So I, I was always searching to try to figure out how far I could really go with this thing. I changed everybody's name, like Jerry Lawler. He was Jerome. You know, um, <laughs> Jim Ross was James. Uh, Taz, I think I called him Taz Well. You know, so I just made sure I took it to a level to where people were entertained, but I never forsake going out in the middle of that ring and humbling those peasants that was trying to, <laughs> was trying to dethrone me, you know, and that part had to be real. And I think I was, you know, at my, in my, I think I was at my best as far as my wrestling when I was King Booker. 
You know what, book? I actually thought you thought you were King Book. <laughs> I did. Bro, I'm going to tell you right now. I didn't pay for a meal or a drink for about two years. <laughs> <laughs> I go anywhere I went. People treated me like a, a real king. Uh, we, I don't think we got enough King Booker. I'm uh, saying dude, that. It should have been longer. Day, man. You know what? I was so tired at the end of that run. You know, people don't realize I left WWE at the height of my career. Yeah. I was at the top of my career. I just dropped a world heavyweight championship and I was like, I, I, I was so tired after that year going out there and creating that King Booker character every night was so draining. Mm. Uh, Charmel was driving for me almost every night after those shows because I would just be so drained. I remember Michael Hayes telling me when I was, I was getting ready to leave and I was like, bro, I'm done. I'm finished. And Michael Hayes goes, "Book, what are you doing? What are you thinking? You got, you still got a baby face run with this thing. And I'm like, bro, <laughs> I'm finished. <laughs> but it was a great time. And um, I would not change that for the world, but it, all the King King Booker was all around, about Charmel. It wasn't about me at all. It would have never made me the king if it wasn't for Charmel. Me calling Charmel my queen all the time. That's mm. that's just what I've always called her. And they so let's make the you know let's bring the King of the Ring back. But I, I don't think the King of the Ring was brought back actually for me. Um, but I, I say, hey, when you get something, you got to make the best of it, no matter what it is. And, and you did that. Well, well, listen, you, uh, you and Kurt, you guys hook back up again when you're both in TNA, you're part of the main event mafia <laughs> Booker. How was your time in TNA? And what did you think of the main event mafia? You know what? I love the main event mafia. I mean, that concept was such a, such a great concept. Um, but, but I, when I came into TNA, I had such great intentions. I really did. I mean, just like when I came into WWE, I had such great intentions. I was like, man, I got guys like AJ Styles, I got rude. I got Samoa Joe. You know, I got I got all these young kids, um, and then you got the uh, the you know the older guys like myself and Kirk, Sting, Nash, Steiner. I said, man, we can really do something with these guys. We can really, really have you know bring these guys up because I, I think I say with young guys, you got to go down to their level in order to bring them up to your level. All right. And so for me, I was so willing to do that. But after about two weeks in TNA, I was like, man, they, they don't want to do nothing. These guys, they just messing around. So I got frustrated. I got frustrated. And, and I, I, I must say, I, I started acting a fool. I started acting, I, I, I created this, you know, African accent. You know, I just start talking oh, about it. Awesome, you know, when I go back, and look, no, when I go back and look at it, it was great work. It was great work. But I was just entertained. I, I was entertaining myself at that time. <laughs> and, and the thing is, I say when I was in TNA, I, I really didn't have any real direction. Mm -hmm. I, I was listening to uh, Dutch Mantel talk, and he was talking about when I was doing, you know, that character in, in, in TNA. And, and he was saying, I don't even, and he was one of the agents, one of the guys that was, you know, shot callers, I, 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 would, call, I would say. And he was saying that man, I don't even know why he was doing the African accent. You know, I don't. You know, I don't, I don't know what was going on there. And my thing was, well, if no one wanted me to do it, why wouldn't someone come and tell me, "Hey, book, we don't want you to do the African accent." You know what I mean? You know, change. You know, keep your mind. If you know, you know, I, I'm, somebody give me some instruction. Somebody give me some. No one never gave me any real direction when I was in TNA. That's why you know when my time came up. Um, I, I chose to, you know, leave, but I swear, man, um, I love working with Kurt. We had so many great, stupid promos that we did yeah, in the past, yeah. you know, like eeny, meeny, miny, mo. Well, that's the one <laughs> got me with Steiner and I, me and Kurt almost got into a fight one time, you know, because of what was, it was just, it was stupid, but it was, it could have been so great. I, I say the main event mafia, that faction literally should have went down as one of the top three factions that ever did it. Mm. And that's, yeah, yeah, we didn't, we did not capitalize off of that at all. We didn't. And I, I believe it is a lot of the writers faults. Oh yes. It seemed like nobody did care. Nobody did. We'd be sitting around all day waiting and waiting and waiting. And nobody was coming to us telling us what we're going to do next. It was like, do what we make it up ourselves or what, you know, it was, yeah. I don't know if WCW is like that book, but yeah, that's what it felt like. No, I mean, um, I mean, WCW wasn't like that at all. I mean, we had some direction in WCW, but that's what disappointed me so so much in, in TNA is just we had 
you know, a, a really great, great product there. I remember when we went to England one time, we did those two shows and, uh, I was like, man, uh, we sold both of them out. And, um, I was working with Rhino and, uh, the fans before Rhino and I even locked up maybe, I don't know, a couple of minutes, they were going, Rhino Booker T, Rhino Booker T. And I was like, man, man, this company got something. And, um, but the, like I say, the more I was there, it just showed me that, I don't know, that, that no one really knew what they were doing. Lack of direction. You know, and, and I, I hate to, you know, put any blame, but a lot of people just did not know what they were doing. Uh, I remember working overseas and we were working at this, right next door to the soccer stadium. And Mick Foley and I, we were outside, uh, you know, just kicking it. And uh, we saw so many cars coming up and Mick and I go, man. We're going to have a hell of a show tonight, man. Let's go out, man. Like, we was excited, right? So we go back in, we get dressed, and then when the show gets started, it's only, you know, I don't know, the building was re- really, really, really light, right? And then, next thing you know, as the wrestling match is going on, we hear, it was the soccer stadium next door. It was sold out, 70,000 people. So it wasn't sold out in our arena. It was just sold out in the arena next to us. <laughs> I'm like, what the uh, on the same night? Who booked this? You know, so it was that kind of stuff, you know. So, uh, but I love, I must say, I love my two years there. I had a great time. I'm not going to, you know, disparage TNA or anything like that. I know on my way out, they tried to make me look like a bad guy because of certain things that went down in TNA. It's like one time they, I had to do an old sale uh, because they came to Houston and, uh, <laughs> I got to tell this story. And, um, and I, they say, can you do the old sale? You know, go to radio station. Yeah, no problem, no problem. And then uh, the day came for me to do the old sale. And uh, I remember somebody called me and said, Ross Foreman's going to come and pick you up. And I go, Ross Foreman? He's going to come pick me up. Ross Foreman? I'm like, okay, I've never done autograph signing like that. I work for WWE. Come on. You know, and then um, I call Ross Foreman. I say, Ross, you coming to pick me up? Uh, he goes, well, I'll tell you what, I'm on the Southwest side in such and such hotel. Why don't you just drive over here and we'll go from here. And I go, bro, I'm not driving anywhere. What are you talking about? He, 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 he said, I mean, it's mean, no big deal. I say, look, bro. I say, look, it's, it's going like this. If I don't get a stretch limo <laughs> black in color, come and pick me up. I'm not leaving my house. You know, and then he goes, what? What are you talking about? And then Terry Taylor, he called me. He goes, but why are you having problems? You know, I wanted to, uh, he said, you got some nice cars, don't you? I, I, got, I got five of them. And, and they're all standing in the garage. You know? <laughs> Three minutes later, limo came and picked me up. Well, you got what you wanted, book. Oh, you damn right. I got what I wanted. But they made me, they thought I was a bad guy. They made me look like I was a bad guy. I remember being overseas and the guys didn't have catering one time and I went off. I went off on everybody. And and from that point on, the guys had catering every time they went somewhere. I was a bad guy because of that kind of stuff. People, they, they, they perceived. Because you spoke up. Because I spoke, I spoke up for the boys. Yeah. Now, one of those guys, AJ Styles, rude, you know, awesome call. None of those guys are going to ever say anything bad about me in an office might, but none of the talent is ever going to say anything bad about me because I was always about the talent in that company with, with, with TNA. I just wanted to get that out there. Well, you would return to WWE and move into a non-wrestling role, doing commentary. Was that transition? What was it like for you? It was hard, actually. Uh, you know, I'm not a commentator. I was just acting a fool, you know, in front of the monitor. Uh, but when you're doing it, you know, for two hours straight or three hours straight, you know, it can get pretty serious because you got to can't step on yourself. You got to have, you you know, everything in order, you know. So for me, um, it's been a process. I'm finally really uh, beginning to be comfortable now when I'm, you know, in NXT. But I got, you know, Vic Joseph I'm working with and he's a huge help, man. I, I don't really think I would be as far as I am without Vic Joseph. Uh, being that quarter, he's like a quarterback, you know, when I'm out there, you know, he set me up uh, perfectly, but I, but I do a lot of studying now. I write, you know, more now than I've, I've ever written in my life. You know, I got this thing called a remarkable, it's like a little tablet and all I'm doing is writing and, and, and I'll write, um, just say, for instance, whatever I, I want to say, just to make sure I present it properly. When I say it, make sure I accent everything I'm talking about. It, the, you know, the, you know, the, the exclamation points and everything uh, uh, when I'm doing this, because it's even when you're doing commentating, it's a show. Um, I, I like making people have 
have fun, you know, like, you know, I might throw a you know, shaggy duggy quack quack in there, you know, just to, you know, get people going, you know, uh, but, but for me, uh, it's been a process, but I love it. I, I, I love where I'm at right now. Seriously. I really, I, I really love where I'm at. You, uh, you get to work a program with Cody when you did come back in, in uh, 2011 and 12. Tell us uh, about his rise from then to WrestleMania main eventer and your, your thoughts and feelings on what you've seen him do since then to now and what he's become. You know, uh, I feel like, I, I feel like, uh, I got a big part of, uh, in Cody's, you know, rise. <laughs> he, should, he, might, he, should, he owed me a check. <laughs> no, uh, I saw something in Cody back then, you know, when, you know, no one was really giving him a chance. Uh, I saw something in Cody Rhodes. That's the only reason no one, uh, no one came to me with that and said, Hey, Hey book, you want to work Cody? I did that. That's the first time I've ever asked to work with someone. That's the first time in my whole career that I've ever asked to get in the ring and, and not just work with someone, but put them over. I said, I want to put them over right in the middle. I'm looking up at the lights. One, two, three. Uh, because I, I, his dad and I, his dad, I remember, uh, I remember I was at a, one of the house shows and uh, I went out and I, I rocked it, man. I came back through the curtain and Dusty go, they won't put you on first no more. <laughs> I was like, yeah, man. You know, so Dusty and I, we was, I love Dusty. You know, Goldie, me and Goldie. I mean, we don't get, don't get too much tighter than, than Goldie and I. And, and Cody is the same way, man. I just want to see that kid thrive because I, I saw his talent, you know, when he was, you know, with all those other guys, you know, he, he just didn't get to shine that, you know, Batista and Art and, you know, those guys got, but I thought he was just as good of a talent. And it's for him to the mix, but it's, exactly it's for him to, to lead a company and go out there and rebuild himself and brand himself. And then the company say, Hey, we want you back. We want you. We now we need you back under this umbrella. And for him to be doing what he's doing now, he did that. He did that all on his own, man. So I give him major props for being a guy who grew up in this business, but willing was willing to, excuse me, but was willing to go out there on that independent scene. And that's a grind, dog. That's a grind. And I'm gonna tell you, I was I've been at a couple of independent shows, and he would show up, and he would always. I mean, everybody else looking like a bum. Cody would have that pseudo, yeah, you know what I mean? His hair was well quaffed. And I was like, boy, you, you learned, you learned, you know what I mean? Because Cody, every time he saw me, I was always dressed. I was always looking apart. And for Cody to pick that up and, you know, figure that out. I was pr proud of that kid. Mm. Well, how important was starting your own promotion, reality of wrestling and helping train wrestlers and build the future of the business? You know, um, starting the promotion was just something that just happened. I, I wanted to start the school. Um, the school started back in 2005. We've had our school now almost 20 years. And um, I started the school just to give young kids a springboard, you know, give them a chance to be a part of the business. When I got in the business, it was $3,000 and it was an eight-week course. And I'm like, you don't learn very much in eight weeks. Uh, but but uh, it got my foot in the door, but I knew that wasn't the route to go, I remember um, coming up in the business and, you know, a lot of the older guys, they used to try to keep the young guys down. They didn't want them to do anything. They didn't want them to make it at all. And I was like, man, it just, it's just wrong. And I was like, man, one day I'm going to open, open my school and I'm going to change the whole name of the game. Uh, my school is a two-year course. You know, It's like a cell phone bill, $150 a month for two years. And uh, and if they if they are uh, good enough to make it to the next level, they'll go go on. We'll push them to go to that that next level. But if they're not, they can be a part of reality wrestling. They have a home with us. Uh, they really, they have a home, right? Yeah, yeah. They, they they build camaraderies. They they learn you know uh, skills they never thought they would learn. They do. They figure. They they realize they can do things they never thought they could do. You know. So for me, um, I'm I've built like a young uh, an army of young guys. I'm the oldest guy on my crew by design, um, and and. You know, I don't need anybody to work on the website. I just call one of these young kids. Hey, man, who's that? You know, what I mean? yeah. you know my partner. You know, that do my my uh, my radio show, my podcast with me. Uh, he's 30, 31, 32 years old now. Started with me when he was eighteen years old. Mm. You know, my right hand man that runs my show, um, write my show, edit it, uh, and produce it. 
started with me when he was 18 years old, my first student. You know, uh, that's the way I've built my company is just, you know, working with young guys. And, you know, you might think that I'm doing a whole lot for these young guys, which I am, but they're doing so much for me um, at the same time. They keep me young, man. They keep they keep me young. They keep me on my toes. I don't think old. Um, I understand, you know, the business and what it was back in the day. Um, and a lot of that stuff works, but I understand, you know, things have changed. If you don't know how to ch- change with the times, the times have passed you by. So I, I don't think I'm the smartest guy in the room. I, I take these guys, you know, advice sometimes and I use it. If it's good enough, I use it. You know, if it, you know, if it's not, you know, um, you know, we, 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 you know, kick it to the side, but, but I j- just do not, you know, try to think I'm the smartest guy in the room. And I, I look, I, I look at it like, uh, I let these young guys drive and I'll be the passenger and navigate and we'll get to our destination. Nice. That's where it is. Booker, as we, uh, as we start wrapping up here, I, I want you to talk about Roxanne Perez, because you, when you talk about talent coming from your school, she's a star in NXT. And then if maybe you can let us know, who do you think in your school, the next wrestler that you're training that could step up onto that big stage next. So talk about Roxanne first. You know, my girls always seem to uh, excel. Uh, uh, man, uh, Roxy, you know, that's what I'm still, you know, thinking about. Rox, Roxanne, she's, she's done such an awesome job. She used to take a bus from Laredo, Texas, all the way to, you know, past, uh, 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 Texas City to, to train uh, with us. And, uh, and she was a kid. She came to my fantasy camp when she was like, you know, 15, 16 years old. I have a, a photo with her. She looked, she looked like, like, like my little girl or something. I'm like, you gotta be kidding me. Uh, she had aspirations. She dreamed of being the reality of wrestling champion when she was like nine or 10 years old. Oh, that's cool. <laughs> <laughs> and then she becomes the reality of wrestling champion. And then she goes out there and becomes the first ROH women's champion. And then she comes to NXT and she wins the breakout tournament, the Iron Survivor Challenge, and she becomes the NXT Women's Champion. It's amazing, the meteoric rise. Um, she went straight from her mom's house to being a major star all over the world, you know? So I love it, man. And that's what reality of wrestling is all about, you know, trying to get these young guys out to the next level. I got a, a couple of girls right now, Gigi Ray and Promise Braxton. Uh, they're in Japan right now. And uh, they should be back in the next couple of months. But Promise Braxton is, I think, going to be my next prodigy um, okay. to step out there and really do it. I got a kid out there. He just had a, a shot in the AEW. His name, the Bounty Hunter Brian Keith. Uh, man, he is doing such an awesome job. He just made event at my show last week, and I, I had to give him an extra payoff. That's not good. I was like, man, you came, you came from coming to my show, you know, way back in the day um, as a kid, still in his mom's car. His car, the, the car broke down. We had to get him home. And then he became one of my students. And now he's one of the most sought independent wrestlers in the world. Brian uh, Keats. So, nah, man, I'm, I'm so proud of my, my guys, man, um, and my girls for just, you know, sitting under the learning tree and, and going out there and representing reality of wrestling. And every one we get out, we get 10 more in. You know, I got so many students now, they have to wear name tags. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Now, so Book, cool. let everyone know how they can hear you and Brad Gilmore on your podcast, Hall of Fame. Um, check us out on Podcast Heat um, every Friday. We're getting, getting ready to actually go to two days a week. Um, you can check us out on, on YouTube as well on our YouTube channel. We're getting close to 800,000 subscribers, guys. So make sure you guys come on board uh, the YouTube channel. And always check me out on Twitter at BookerT5X. That's on up. It's on the gram. On the gram, too. Uh, BookerT5X. You can catch me. And uh, yeah, yeah. Of course, uh, Reality of Wrestling uh, is on a lot of CW affiliates out there, too. So make sure you check Reality of Wrestling out whenever you get a chance. Become a part of the road. <laughs> Thank you so much, Booker T, for being here with us this week, man. This has been awesome. Nah, hey, man. Book, great seeing you, my friend. Thanks for being on the show. I love you, man. Always, man. Love you, bro. Anytime, man. Thank you, guys. Have a good night. Uh, finish it up. Finish it up. All, about all, right, guys. all right. All right. Talk to you later. All right. Booker T, man, that was so good. What a great guest, Kurt. He is, man. And he's entertaining. Always entertaining. Booker T, whenever he opens his mouth, you know, people listen, man. It's just incredible. That's for sure. Buddy, did you hear? 
800,000 YouTube subscribers. Is that right? <laughs> Is that right? We got our work cut out for us, bro. I know. What the hell? What man? in the world? Okay. I got to double check that number. Listen, <laughs> we are getting to the end of our show. I know you got to get out of here. He Kurt's juggling kids. His wife is not at the house this well, week. He's, he's fighting for himself with these kids this week. So we got He's got, what you got, got to pick up from practices, right? Uh, actually piano lessons, piano lessons. All right. So let's do this. I picked her up for practice and I dropped her off at piano lessons, man. That's why I made it at seven 30. Oh, I got you. I got you. Well, listen, you held up to your word last week. You picked the, the, the Cowboys a few weeks ago to beat the Eagles. The Eagles won. You sang the fight song on last week's show. Fans are now clamoring for more solos from you on the show. The reviews have been off the charts. Taylor Swift, who we want an angle concert. I have no idea what these people consider talent, but apparently whatever flows from your Olympic lips, they want more of it, pal. Uh, so either they're all drunk on smart snacks and cookies and cream protein shakes. I don't know what the deal is, but anyway, nobody was happier than Derek Sabato, our research buddy. I know he was. I had to sing the Eagles fight song. So he loved it. But the big news last week, you're now 14 and six. You went two and oh, you picked our Steelers over the Packers, but buddy, you picked the Broncos to upset the bills and hell, if you weren't Nostradamus. Because the damn Broncos in the last minute of, of Monday night football, they beat the bills. You're 14 and six. Yes. Yes. I'm kicking ass and taking names, man. <laughs> you're, 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 you're doing awesome. So who is it? Who's the angle lock this week? Who's your angle upset angle lock. You're going to be surprised. And so is Derek. I'm picking the chiefs over the Eagles. Okay. <laughs> He's the going chiefs against favored to win. Okay. So, but, but the reason why is because the chiefs, are the best team in the NFL. Okay. I think they're going to beat the Eagles. And you know what? This might be a Super Bowl uh, rematch. Oh, well, it is from, from last year's Super Bowl. Now, well, the other one, uh, yeah. the upset, um, I'm picking the Steelers over the Browns. See, well, and you know what? Deshaun Watson's out for the year. So they're. I know they're still, you know, not the favorite going into Cleveland because it is in Cleveland, but Cleveland's lost their quarter starting quarterback for the rest of the year. That's going to be tough for them. You're absolutely right. So, so we'll see what happens. So we'll see what, how Kurt's right now. We'll see how Kurt's picks do. He's doing pretty good so far. So I can't bust his balls anymore. Yeah. Uh, guys, listen, we talked about the main event mafia. So check it out. Kurt's past top impact moments with Booker T that can be found over at impactwrestling.com forward slash packages and sign up with code Kurt. And by the way, if your business targets 25 to 54 year old men, there's no better place than to advertise with us right here on the Kurt angle show, go to advertise with angle.com and find out more about advertising with the Kurt Angle Show. Also, check us out. Subscribe on YouTube at The Angle Pod. My God, we got our work cut out for us, as I said. YouTube.com forward slash The Angle Pod. We need subscribers, damn it. If you're we fans of Booker T, if you're fans of Booker T, come sign up with us, damn it. Oh, my God. Kurt, tell them where they can find those smart snacks at. All right, smart snacks, crispy protein bites. We have smart snacks. Uh, one is chicken protein. One's organic plant protein. And the other is whey protein. There are 11 different flavors. You're going to love all of them. Uh, my favorite this week is I'm back to cheese pizza. I love <laughs> cheese pizza. <laughs> but I use this in my diet every day. Uh, it keeps me lean, keeps me in shape, and it tastes phenomenal. You're going to love these. Go to physicallyfit.com to order yours. That ding on Kurt's phone was his daughter saying, where are you at daddy project one nutrition cookies and cream, right? Tell you got to tell him about the, the cookies and cream, Kurt. Yes. Oh, Kurt Angle's cookies and cream protein. And wait till you hear this <laughs> starting in 2024. That's right. The countries I'm going to be in. If I could find it here on his damn uh, phone, go Kurt, go, you can do it. Kurt. I'm going to get it. I'm going to get it. I'm going to get it. Hold that's on. What she's, Hold that's on. what she said. Yeah. It's like you're looking for All your right. PP. Okay. Korea, South Africa, Dubai, Mexico, Philippines, India, and Australia. All right. In 2024, Kurt Angle's Cookies and Cream Protein will be in GNC stores in those countries. Dude, that's big. Right man. now, I'm in select GNC franchise stores, but eventually I'll be in all the corporate stores too. Right now, that's uh, internationally here in the United States. Not right. But if you want to order it online, go to... Um, 
Jeez, um, Project ProjectOneNutrition.com. Go to ProjectOneNutrition.com, and you can order the Kurt Angle Protein there. Kurt, I can't believe all those countries. I mean, what what's happening here? You're oh, exploding. Oh, not only that. Uh-oh. He's um, back, in his, back in his shorts. 43 additional countries outside of that. <laughs> Please <laughs> okay. don't read every single one of them. Please. This is what the owner of Project One sent me. Yeah. Oh, okay. and, and it says, let's effing go. I don't know what that means, but... You know, I think it's like a new new age thing going on now. It's like what all the kids say. Yeah. Let's, let's fucking go, Kurt. We can say it on this show. Oh, my God. LFG. KurtAnglebrand.com. Why don't you effing go there, too, while you're at it? KurtAnglebrand.com. That's where you're going to find all kinds of stuff. Milk cartons, cowboy hats, birthday cards, T-shirts, autographed pictures. Kurt, what can they find there? A whole ball of wax. That's right. KurtAnglebrand.com. Order yours. I'll send it right to you. Oh, he, you're such a nice guy, Kurt. Well, listen, thank you so much. This has been a blast. Next week, Kurt, ask Kurt anything. Yeah. And I mean anything. That. I can't wait to hear the questions. I can't either. We're going to pull the bed sheets back and we're going to ask you anything and everything, Kurt. Are you ready for that? I'm ready. I want to be exposed on everything. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we have a blast. Guys, listen, thank you so much for tuning in this week. We're going to be back for Ask Kurt Anything. We're fully exposing Kurt Angle here on the show. So make sure you come back for that. On behalf of your Olympic hero, Kurt Angle, this is Paul Bromwell, and we'll see you right back here next week on another episode of The Kurt Angle Show. John brings his skewed sense of humor. Jeff brings tips to cut strokes off your next round. Together, it's those weekend golf guys. They'll pay a lot of money to PXG and Titleist and Callaway and on and on and on. Right? How many yards do you think you're going to pick up with that extra driver? I think I can get an extra 5 to 10. What if I give you 15 to 20? <laughs> you pay me more. Jeff Smith right? teaches on the sliding scale. <laughs> those weekend golf guys, the podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B-L-E-A-V on YouTube or wherever you listen.